Since the turn of the calendar a couple of weeks ago, our students have gone back to school and teachers returned to the classroom, and we all know what that means, right? Everybody's sick, right? Who's been to the doctor in the past two weeks? I have. I've got ahead of all of it. Drugs are good. Not that kind of drugs. They're, you know, the medical drugs that help us with the cough and the flu and the crud that so many of us are dealing with. You know, anytime there's uh, these kinds of illnesses, these outbreaks like there are, our schools and our staff here, they do such a tremendous job. They go into sanitizing mode. They just clean, 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 clean all the time, everything. I keep uh, a lot of hand sanitizer with me. I have one on the passenger side. I have um, one on the, on the passenger side, one on the driver's side. I have two in my console. I have one in, in my backpack, another in a satchel that I carry with me. I have four up here. <laughs> you never know when you're going to need it, right? Part of the reason that, uh, I mean, I scrub into my pastoral duties these days. That's just kind of how I operate, you know. I think part of the reason why is because my health, my health depends on your health in so many ways. Not through the handshaking and the hugs, the serving of the bread and the cup even. But maybe a little more deeply to John's point, my spiritual health affects you. Your spiritual health affects me. Have you ever heard the name Edwin Landseer? You ever heard that name? He was a painter from the Victorian era. He was very, very talented. And at the age of 13, he spent some time with the Royal Academy. He was commissioned uh, by the royal family to paint a big portrait of Queen Victoria, Prince Albert. He was best known for his, his natural settings in the Scottish Highlands. And he did a lot of dogs, St. Bernard's, and other really cool things. Well, one day he was visiting uh, Scotland and he went up into the Highlands. There was a big mansion there, family was there, and a servant spilt a dark liquid on the wall and it made this awful stain on the wall. Well, Landseer was left behind while the family went out and into the field country there. And he took some charcoal that he had and he started working with this stain. And over time, by the time the family returned, this awful stain that had been such a pressure point in this family and the whole day, all of a sudden became this beautiful waterfall with animals and birds and all the beautiful stuff flowing around it. He took his skill, he took a mess, and he made something beautiful. John the Baptist has been talking on a loop about the person who would come after him, but it was actually before him, and it was kind of confusing. And John washed people with water. We talked about that last week with baptism. But this Jesus fellow would wash with the Spirit. John could help somebody get clean on the outside. Jesus could help somebody get clean on the inside. John said, repent, change your mind. Jesus said, I want to change your heart. And so John was saying all of these things when, lo and behold, Jesus actually shows up, walks by, John says, there's the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who is the world's sin remover, the one who takes away infectious and dangerous germs called sin, the one who takes stains in life and makes something beautiful out of them. 
You know, in the United Methodist Church, for some reason, we don't talk a lot about sin, at least not from the pulpit, but our founder, John Wesley, had a few things to say about it. One of his favorite quotes of mine uh, in one of his sermons and in his journal at two different places, he was talking about when a human being has a, an authentic experience with Jesus Christ, and after that experience, there's a change, a marked change in a person's life. And he said, you know, sin uh, remains, but sin does not reign in that person's life. I like that. I like that a lot. So for the Gospel of John to hit us straight up with this statement that the Lamb of God is here, the one who takes away the sin of the whole world, that's a big thing to say. That's a lot of, of sin to be cleaned and reworked into something beautiful. I'm also mindful that for some reason there are strands of theology that have adversely decided when bad things happen to good people, it must be God's doing. That God takes away people from us by giving them cancer or car wrecks or whatever the travesty might be. That God takes away meaning and purpose and wealth and prosperity and relationships and all these things that we otherwise should be thinking about as blessings, that there's a strand of theology that said God must be taking that away because of something that we've done in our life. Stop believing that. God is not punitive. There are consequences to our actions. Don't get me wrong. God is not waiting on you to mess up, waiting on us to mess up so that God can take something good from us. That's not my God, anyway. What I think, at least according to John's gospel, is that the only thing that Christ takes away is sin. The bad stuff. The stuff that separates us from God. And even then, it can be sanitized and turned into something beautiful. That's fascinating to me, that God would do that for us. But so what? How does something that interrupted the world 2,000 years ago have any bearing for 2020? It's hard to say 2020, but it's here, whether we like it or not. Does Jesus continue to interrupt life with a goal of sanitizing our human condition? I think so. You know, I mentioned having all sorts of hand sanitizers, and they come in all shapes and sizes. Some are in bottles, and some smell good, and some don't. But I'm mindful that if I don't use them daily, that I'm opening myself and my family and others up to the possibility of, of illness. If I don't allow the sanitizer to do what it's supposed to do, I'm putting myself and others at risk. Well, with your life and, and mine, if we don't allow the capital S sanitizer to do what the sanitizer is supposed to do every day, then brokenness, Systemic issues, they just continue to permeate. So we need to hear that interruptive message. We're talking about prophets today. John, Jesus is the prophet who ends all prophecies. Ben has already mentioned Dr. King. It's not lost on me that, that the lectionary gospel reading for today is on MLK weekend. Of all weekends, we're talking about a prophet, those who were thinking beyond themselves there's another prophet in our community. His name is Mark Bullock with WSFA, and every Thursday night he has a prophetic message. Clean up! You ever heard Mark say that? Isn't that great? I know exactly where to eat and where not to eat, right? So John is saying 
Clean up. Clean up your life on the outside because what you do externally affects what happens on the inside of your life and your heart. Clean up, says John, because the one who can make it all happen is coming and is coming soon and can make it into something beautiful if we'll just let go of all that separates us from God. So I love that. I love that Jesus is coming to help us remove the messiness, the stain, and make it into something beautiful. And There's something else about this passage I love. The whole cleanup thing happens one day, but the following day, Jesus comes strolling by again, and John kind of casually says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And at that point, the disciples started noticing they took notice and they started following Jesus. And I don't know if that's creepy or not. Jesus turned around and he's all of a sudden has people following him. I mean, in our day and age, that is, right? Jesus takes this prophetic moment, this opportunity, not, not to be missed, and he turns it into a powerful question and invitation session. Did you know that according to John's gospel, these are the first words that Jesus Christ speaks? What are you looking for? It's the very first words that Jesus is given in John's Gospel. What are you looking for? And then there's this trilogy, really, of things that he says here. What are you looking for? Follow me. Come and see. Now, what if we adopted that individually, as families, as a church, for the sake of our community in this world? What if we adopted a, and were interrupted by a grace that causes us to say, what are we looking for? And we listen to Jesus saying, follow me, come and see. It's a loaded question, really. Were they looking for someone to make Israel great again? Yeah, probably. Were they looking for hope? I think so. I think we're all looking for hope. <laughs> were they looking for an adventure, something beyond the monotony of their small fishing villages? Were they hoping to find a new sense of a purpose? Maybe they just needed a career change. Here's what I do believe. I believe every single person who comes to church in person or by means of technology, every person is searching for something. Some are looking to get out by noon and beat the other denominations to the buffet. I get it. And I'm very grateful for those who have the spiritual gift of timekeeping among us. Thank you for that ministry. I got it. Some people are trying to find themselves. Some people are trying to lose themselves into a story bigger than oneself. Some people are looking for community because they need a place to belong. Some people are looking for a family because their nuclear family, their relational families have broken down and they need a place to connect. Some people are looking for moral support. Others need help rearing their children and there is no greater place for that than in the church. I personally believe that every single person is in search of some form of healing and I believe in that statement so much that I'm building my entire, entire doctoral dissertation project around that. I do believe that healing begins with hospitality. When somebody invites another human being to be a part of whatever it is 
they're doing. When somebody knows your name, healing begins there. When grace makes space, when we share a meal together, and when a new identity is formed, those five things lead to healing and they begin with hospitality. I believe that. I believe he people need healing in their minds and in their bodies and in their souls and in their relationships. They need healing because the church has let them down in the past or because home life has been tough. They need healing from a very deep wound. Some are searching for someone to tell them that everything will be okay and that they'll walk with them as they let go of guilt and shame. But we're all searching for identity, new or renewed, something that points to a greater story than ourselves. So Jesus' question is a loaded one. It's loaded with power because every single person is searching and none of us have truly found what we're looking for. I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors shall bleed into one. What we're responding to when we hear the question, what are you searching for? Follow me, come and see. Is it, it's, follow, it's pointing us to a future, a future direction. So what are you searching for? What are you searching for? Jesus says then, come and see. And then those three simple words were given an invitation to be interrupted by divine grace, to take on a new direction of life. And maybe most importantly, to follow Jesus into the future, into the unknown, into the abyss of what lies ahead. His disciples would do that. They would follow him to some truly miraculous events like taking something as ordinary as water and turning it into an inebriating wine. Remember that story? It's an image of grace. That's an image of our lives, your life and mine, where Jesus can take the water of ordinariness, poetic license, and can turn our story into a savory wine to inebriate this community with the sweet grace of God's love. Jesus invites the disciples into a future where there will be a handful of loaves and a few fish, and it'll feed thousands and thousands of people. And you know who gives it to him? A little boy because our children will lead us into the future if we'll let them. The disciples would go on and they would be asked to follow me, come and see, and what they would see is the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind would have sight restored, lepers would leap, lives would be changed and restored. This, this Lamb of God would be the action behind it all, the power behind it all, and that power would come from stooping down to wash his disciples' feet, and then he would raise back up and say, now you go wash the, the feet of others. This same Lamb of God would be lashed 39 times and would be brought low within an inch of his life, and then would be raised up on a cross, but would offer forgiveness and access to paradise even. And then that same Lamb of God would be lowered down from the cross and even lower into a tomb to be raised back up on the third day. There's a preacher named Joanne Taylor 
who works with this text in what I think is a really wonderful way, what she's saying about all of this is that there's a common pattern that's beginning to form. It's akin to John's gospel in general, but the Bible as well. And she says that first John the Baptist sees Jesus, then he shows Jesus to others, and then John shares that experience with other people. The pattern gets repeated. You heard Andrew, who saw Jesus, right? And he showed Jesus to his brother Peter, and then he shared his own personal experience that he had with Jesus with Peter. What would the world and the church look like had Andrew not seen and shown and shared Jesus Christ with Peter? Would we even know about resurrection had the women not seen and shown and shared the good news that he is risen? I wonder if that's a pretty good model as well. As we're thinking about this set of, of statements, what are you looking for? Come and see, follow me. What if we were also to think about seeing and sh uh, showing and sharing this experience with Jesus Christ? You know, Taylor goes on to say that we often talk about inviting Jesus into our hearts or making Jesus a part of, of our lives, but maybe if we flip that, what is happening is Jesus is saying, I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to be a part of my work and what I am doing with God alongside God in the world. We need both. We come here each and, and every week into this glorious space. Somebody told me earlier today that she builds her entire week around this hour. That's a powerful statement. Why? Because healing happens here. Relationships form here. Meaning and purpose are given here through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But this isn't where it ends. This is where it begins. When Jesus says, follow me, come and see, he's saying, let's go. There are so many needs out there to be met. As our bishop says often, we might not change the whole world, but we can change our corner of it if we'll follow where Jesus is leading. That's a bold thing to say. A bold way to be interrupted in this new year. So I just want to ask you, what are you looking for? And I wonder if we'll have enough courage to follow Jesus and to come and see where it is that he is leading. Just yesterday, I was uh, very blessed as your minister to be invited to come and see what God is up to in the world. I was invited by my brother in ministry at Metropolitan United Methodist Church, Richard Williams, to attend the uh, Martin Luther King breakfast. It was hosted by the Alpha Upsilon Lambda Educational Foundation, provides scholarships to students in the area. I had no idea what I was getting myself into or walking into. A couple of thousand folks gathered there to celebrate a vision that Dr. King initiated as he sought to follow Jesus Christ into the community and make a difference. You know, he wrote a letter, Dr. King did, to a bunch of ministers. He wrote it from jail. He wrote a letter to a bunch of clergymen and said that it's time 
to be the headlights in the community and not the taillights, to run towards the hard challenges and to proclaim Jesus Christ and love and goodness in those places. So I was blown away by the invitation to come and see what God is up to in this world, but I'm so glad that I was there. Marshall Taggart was recently announced as the executive director of the Montgomery Regional Airport. He was the keynote speaker. And I connected with Reverend Agnes Lover. She's at St. Paul United Methodist Church. If you'll recall, a few years ago, we had a joint Pentecost service here. We had a covenant group uh, swap that met with St. Paul AME. It was a beautiful experience. Many of you are nodding. You remember that. And she said, she said, Pastor Cooper, are we ready to do something again as, as churches? And I said, Pastor Agnes, I hope so. It was an invitation to come and see what God might be up to. I want us to do something a little different today in closing. I want us, I want us to pray together. Everybody good with prayer? Good. I want us to pray together. So here's what I, I want, want you to do. It's going to be a little different. Just put your feet on the floor, flat on the floor. Put your hands in your lap if you want to hold them out like this. Some people pray like this. Some people pray like this. Some people pray like this. It doesn't matter. But just let's enter into a posture of prayer. And here's what I, here's what I want you to think about. I want, to, I want you to ask yourself the same question over and over and over again. What am I looking for? What am I looking for? What am I looking for? And as you say that over and again, I'm going to lead us through some things that Jesus said. So let's close our eyes and have a time of prayer together as we pray. What am I looking for in life? Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and all who are soul hungry will be fed. What are you looking for in life? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. To a world lost in darkness, Christ becomes the guide. What are you looking for in life? Jesus said, I am the door for the sheep because you are part of God's flock. What are you looking for in life? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Death does not get the final word for those who are in Christ. What are you looking for in life? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I am committed to caring and watching over you. What are you looking for in life? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am your only purpose and direction. Finally, what are you looking for in this life? Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine, and that the sweetness of life comes by being attached to God alone. Almighty God, we're all searching for something. 
give us healing and hope, purpose and direction, not only now, but as we go into our community, following you and coming to see all that you are up to. Amen. In just a moment, at the close of the service, you're going to see something very dramatic. You see it every week. You're going to see our crucifer take the cross out into the community. You're going to see our acolytes take lighted torches out into the community. They're leading us because if we are daring enough to ask that question and to follow and to see what God is up to in this world, there's no telling what we can do as the body of Christ.